Welcome to Inside Scope, the American Gastroenterological Association podcast that will help you advance your patient care one half hour segment at a time. Join us to hear from the experts, learn new skills, and stay abreast of changing best practices. We'll be tackling a different topic each month, so make sure to subscribe and join us on our mission to improve digestive health for all. Welcome, everyone, to this season of the AGA's Inside Scope podcast entitled Colorectal Cancer, Screening to Save Lives. In this season, we will talk to gastroenterologists and primary care physicians to break down the recent updates from the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force on colon cancer screening and colon cancer screening in high-risk groups and addressing some of the unique challenges for various populations. Our goal is to help healthcare providers understand how they can help reduce the incidence and mortality of colorectal cancer. I'm David Lieberman. I'm a professor of medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at Oregon Health and Science University. Hello, everyone. I'm Chaik Darbeni. I'm a professor of family medicine and the chief health equity officer for the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center and as social director for diversity, equity, and inclusion for the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center here in Columbus, Ohio. So Chaik and I are your hosts for this five-episode season. This season is supported by an independent medical education grant from Exact Sciences. In this episode, Chaik and I are talking about strategies for promoting initiation of colorectal cancer screening at age 45 and addressing early-onset colorectal cancer. Our guest is Dr. Samir Gupta. He is an associate professor of clinical medicine at the University of California, San Diego, and the San Diego Veterans Affairs Healthcare System. His work focuses on the prevention and screening of colorectal cancer and polyps. Samir, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me, David. Maybe we could start by talking a little about your title, which is provocative. The title of your editorial is... 45 is the new 50. Could you elaborate and summarize for us kind of the recent trends in the epidemiology of early onset colorectal cancer? Sure, David. We know that colon cancer incidence and mortality have been declining since the 1990s across all age groups, but we're observing unusual trends among younger age groups. Specifically, we've seen the emergence of a birth cohort effect where people who've been born 1950 and later have been having an increased colon cancer incidence. And now we're at the point where the incidence among 45-year-olds is what it used to be 20 years ago among 50-year-olds. And as a result of this, about 15% of all colon cancers that we're now seeing are occurring in people under 50, to the point that colon cancer is the third leading cause of cancer deaths among people under 50. So this has really led to this axiom that 45 is the new 50, and I can't take credit for it. But I think it's a useful way of of just thinking about how the epidemiology has changed. And Samir, do we have any ideas about why we're seeing this change over this last 20 years or so? There are a lot of ideas, but not a lot of certainty about what's driving these trends. The most plausible explanations that have come forth so far are some data that are suggesting perinatal exposure, such as exposures to antibiotics might have a role. I think a lot of us who work in this space have a sense that there's some 
environmental factor or exposure that is really a universal exposure that is driving this risk because it really seems to be impacting all groups, men and women across racial ethnic groups. Uh, it seems very consistent, but I can't say that we have clear answers. It's also intriguing to think about whether or not the risk factors for this age group is different than risk factors for, say, those over 55, which is a group we've focused on for screening for many, many, many years or decades. Are they different in any way? For instance, is, say, you know, obesity or lifestyle, other lifestyle factors maybe having an impact as well in this group? Yeah, uh, Chaika, I'm glad you brought this up. I think it's been pretty consistent that the same risk factors that we've observed driving colon cancer above age 50 appear to be important also under 50. You mentioned obesity. That one is there. We've seen that exposure to NSAIDs or aspirin, that appears to be associated with lower risk. That's consistent with older age groups. So I think the what's probably operational here is that the old risk factors are still impacting risk and, and contributing to risk under 50. But there are some other things that are in the mix that we haven't been able to identify very well. If I may kind of also maybe take that one other step further, which is about how people present with colorectal cancer under the age of 50 years. You've done some very interesting work around, you know, some of the you know, risk signals, if you want, of colorectal cancer in those uh, younger than 50. Could you talk a little bit about some of that work, maybe around iron deficiency anemia and bleeding and how that might play into this? Sure. I'm glad you brought this up. People who have early onset colon cancer often have delays in diagnosis. They'll tell stories about how they had, for example, rectal bleeding for many months, if not a year, went to multiple doctors before it was finally figured out. And symptoms in young people are really a challenge because most people, for example, with rectal bleeding or iron deficiency anemia who are young, they don't have colon cancer. And yet we have data that clearly point out that people under 50 who have hematochesia or iron deficiency anemia, they're at a much higher relative risk of colon cancer than someone who doesn't have those symptoms. So the clinical dilemma is really how to find these people. And one strategy that we've been promoting is this idea of being aware of what the potential red flag signs and symptoms could be and making an effort to close the clinical loop. So what I mean by this is if you see a patient in clinic, a 35-year-old with hematochesia, you think this is due to hemorrhoids, you treat hemorrhoids, see that patient back in 30 to 60 days. And if they're not responding to a standard treatment, we really do need to think about doing a more definitive workup to look at colon cancer, and that should be on our differential. In light of these demographic and epidemiologic changes, what are some of the major professional organizations recommending in terms of colon cancer screening for these individuals? You know, we've really uh, come around, I think, now to a consensus that colon cancer screening should now start at age 45 for average risk individuals instead of age 50. The American Cancer Society led the way on this. The U.S. Preventive Services Task Force has gotten on board. The major GI societies, including the American Gastroenterological Association, have gotten on board National Comprehensive Cancer Network. I think everyone looking at the epidemiologic data and knowing about the effectiveness of colon cancer screening tests feels pretty comfortable with the idea of recommending consideration of 
starting screening at 45 instead of 50 at this point? In terms of what screening test to recommend for that 45 to 49-year-old, do you have a sense of whether we should be recommending non-invasive testing, such as a stool-based test, or should we be encouraging these young patients to get colonoscopy for screening? What do, what do you think? This is a really interesting question, and I, I'm not sure I have the the right answer on this. That There's probably two or three ways we could think about it. One is from the standpoint of effectiveness, what test is going to be the most effective? And we don't have a lot of data for people 45 to 50. If you look at modeling studies that have been done, it suggests that the armamentarium of non-invasive and invasive tests, colonoscopy, fecal immunochemical tests, should be effective for reducing colon cancer incidence and mortality. There doesn't appear to be a big difference in the potential effectiveness, at least based on the modeling. If you look at cost, the fit would wet went out. That would be cost savings, but patients tend to not be thinking about costs unless it relates to their out-of-pocket, as you know. So I would come back to the principle that people need to be aware that they should get screened and choose the one that they're most likely to complete. I think that's the most important point at this right now. That axiom is true across the board for all age groups that have been recommended for screening. And I'm glad that you pointed out for our listeners. And, and I, David, I wonder as we think about sort of what tests to use, but also the strategies that may be implemented to, to reach this newly eligible population. We say newly eligible, although we know that some groups have been screening this group for, for quite a while. And I'm curious, Samir, because you've done really some interesting studies in this area in terms of outreach to populations using you know, fecal testing and colonoscopy and some of the studies that published in JAMA. And I'm curious to, to hear from you, for our listeners, to what extent you think strategies, what strategies have been effective in getting this group screened? Jack, I think this is an interesting question. I would say for this age group, we don't know precisely what is going to be the best approach. And I don't think that's very true. It's going to work for 45 to 50 year olds the same. That, as, that's a scientist in what, you, right? What but we do, we do know some things. We've learned a lot about how to promote colon cancer screening in people over 50. And, you know, things that are clear, you know, without a provider recommendation, a lot of people are not going to get screened. So providers have to recommend tests. We know that's really important. The issue that we were just talking about, about offering choice is so important. You know, the health systems that have achieved the highest rates of screening, the way they've done it is not by only offering a FIT or only offering a colonoscopy, but really offering the full group of it and working at different ways to get people to participate. And then the third, in terms of evidence-based strategies that have worked over age 50, we know reminders for patients and clinicians that people are not up to date are important. Navigation, such as supporting people through their questions about testing, are important. And then mailed outreach, such as offering a fecal immunochemical test to a population that's been shown to really help get screening rates up. So I think uh, those would be the ones I'd grab off the shelf. And then there is an opportunity for trying to understand what the unique needs of people in this age group could be. Samir, both you and Chike have done some really important studies looking at disparities in colon cancer screening. And do you have some insight into disparities that we're observing in this younger age group, particularly this 45 to 49-year-old age group? I think even on record, I, I would uh, probably take Samir's line, which is that we don't have a lot of data, at least in this age group, 
but you know our knowledge and evidence suggests that we'll see the same pattern that we've seen before. And this is where I'm coming from. This is a group for whom screening has not been recommended systematically um, over a long time, and it's very new. But having said that, there have been some groups like GS societies that have actually recommended screening African-American people within this age group. So you expect that there'll be some sort of maybe head start for African-American people. But well, we, at least I, as far as I'm aware, we just don't know that much. And so I mean, I'd be curious to know what, what your thoughts are in terms of potential disparities in this age group. Yeah. I think we're still understanding in terms of the presentation with incidents and mortality, you know, the variation here. The prior data, for example, would have really showed that African-Americans had the highest incidence of mortality in terms of a younger age previously, but non-Hispanic white populations are catching up. Really, that gap is closing. In terms of screening participation, I, I think you share this concern, which is that, you know, the pattern of healthcare innovation has been that more underserved populations or those with less traditionally less access to healthcare are the ones to often benefit last from innovations. And I think that's an operational concern here. We already know that there are big disparities in screening participation by race, ethnicity, education, income in people over 50. And those are going to translate under age 50 unless we really actively anticipate and address them. And I, I think that needs to be a part of our work, both promoting and also as part of our research. Fair enough. Samir, if, if I'm a healthy 40-year-old, I wish I was still 40, a healthy 40-year-old going to see Chike for my uh, primary care, and I've heard about colon cancer, maybe one of my questions would be, are there things that I can do now that might reduce my risk of developing colon cancer at a young age? I really like this prevention question. I think the number one thing is, do you know your family history? Because people who have a first-degree relative are at increased risk for colon cancer, and they need to start screening early, and we need to do a better job of having those conversations about family history sooner because a person, as you know, where their mother or father had colon cancer age 45, they got to start screening at 35, not at 40 or 45. The other aspect or, or thing that everyone can work on is are really healthy lifestyles, which will have benefits for both colon cancer risk reduction, but even beyond that, for example, for cardiovascular, you know, eating a healthy diet, lots of fruits and vegetables, more fiber, less processed meat, less meat, getting exercise, maintaining a healthy weight. We've all heard these. These are definitely important for colon cancer risk, but also for health in general. And I, I would just use that as an opportunity to underscore those points. So U.S. Preventive Services Tax Force has a number of recommendations along those lines, as Samir was uh, discussing. And I agree with that completely. I mean, I'll probably call a few other examples. You know, smoking is important, irrespective of what the condition is. So colon cancer is important. Healthy alcohol use is important. You know, eating the right diet, balanced diet is really terribly important. Being physically active are important. And so these are all things that someone who is 40 years old coming to my clinic, you know, would need to understand and know. Of course, maintaining a healthy weight is terribly important. And some of the studies that I've done by some groups in the past suggest that our lifestyles perhaps have more to do with our colon cancer risk when you're talking about a sporadic, non-genetically related colorectal cancer lifestyle is really paramount. So 
Not only is it important to your health in general, it will help reduce the risk of colorectal cancer. One way to put it, what you put in your mouth and how you exercise your body or put your body through exercise tend to have a fairly profound effect on your overall health, including colorectal cancer health. So Samir, let me put you on the spot with another question. You know, there's all this evidence about aspirin and its chemopreventive effect. If I'm this healthy 40-year-old, the risk of taking 81 milligram aspirin should be pretty low. Should I consider taking 81 milligrams of aspirin, even though I'm feeling perfectly healthy? What What do you think? This one is a tough one for me. You are putting me on the spot. I think that for the sole purposes of colon cancer prevention and someone who is average risk, I still worry about the potential for long-term complications. And you still have to treat, I think, a lot of patients to have one benefit in terms of colon cancer prevented. I think the equation changes if people have additional risk factors, if they've had established cardiovascular disease or other problems, then you really have to look at the big picture, I think, in this situation. Fair enough. And Chike, you've been involved in some of the Preventive Services Task Force deliberations on this. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, David, the, the question about aspirin has evolved uh, as we learn more about aspirin preventive effect, but also about potential risks associated with aspirin. And so the tax force has changed its recommendation quite a bit you know, when it comes to aspirin. So more broadly, there's a narrow age group in which that's a, what I will call a conditional recommendation, but it's for the tax force is a grade C. That's about 40 to 59 years of age. And the recommendation for colorectal cancer prevention is not quite as strong as it was in the past. So I do agree with Samir that I would not recommend aspirin for the sole purpose of preventing colorectal cancer. And for those in that age group for whom you may recommend aspirin for other purposes, cardiovascular prevention, it needs to be a shared decision-making process with the right risk profile because of the potential risk of bleeding associated with it and other complications of aspirin. Yeah, I think that's an important message uh, to our listeners. Well, Samir, before we wrap up, maybe you can summarize a, a few take-homes about screening, beginning uh, colon cancer screening at age 45 for us. Yeah, I mean, I would start at the beginning. It's clear 45 is the new 50. There, there's something going on in our environment that is changing the epidemiology of colon cancer, and this is already affecting people who are under 50 and and it's and it's starting to be operational even in people who are older than 50. So this is going to be really important to watch. I think everyone needs to know that there's an opportunity to start screening at age 45 and that they have multiple options to get screened and to benefit from that opportunity of being screened in terms of early detection and prevention. And we have a lot of work to do to make sure that everyone benefits from this opportunity. I think that that's the last point I would be with, that, that we really have to work hard to try and avoid some of the disparities and differences that we've seen across populations when we introduce screening and change screening guidelines. Well, Samir, thank you. This is really an important message to communicate to everybody. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us for this episode on addressing colon cancer screening for early onset colon cancer at age 45. This is an important topic, and it's a new change in screening guidelines. You can find all five episodes in this season, as well as editorials, 
reference guides, and GI pop quiz educational activities on the AGA's website, gastro.org. Thanks for listening to Inside Scope, an official AGA podcast. Make sure to subscribe to be notified as we roll out new episodes. For more GI education, visit AGA University at agau.gastro.org.